Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. A MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Welcome to the back step. Where we talk about safety, survival, and other things. Welcome to the Black Step. Uh, good evening, everybody. This is Ronnie K in New York, and my uh, good friend and partner Tommy A is on the other side of the country in New Mexico. What's going on, Tom? Ah, beautiful day here in the Grand Southwest, and uh, <laughs> I spent the day at the. Uh, uh, New Mexico Arson Investigators uh, Conference that is actually here in uh, Farmington. So uh, a full day of instruction. Got to uh, see some folks I hadn't seen in a while, doing a little networking, and uh, life is good. Good, good. So that, that little intro off, uh, that our, our listeners heard just now, that big siren, we were told it'd be, it'd be sirens and then it'd be a little clip there, but nobody said anything, so... I'm looking at the screen, and it says that we're sponsored by MagnaGrip. It looks like our new sponsor is MagnaGrip. So for you folks wondering why you heard Sirens and then then you heard our theme song of uh, Disco Inferno, yes, we used Disco Inferno back in the 70s. Tommy and I were revision in polyester and leisure suits, man. <laughs> but, uh, uh, they're sponsored by MagnaGrip on our screen, so we're going to thank them for uh, supporting our endeavor here. And I think, Tommy, I think we're, in, we're, we're about 11 years in, right? About 11 years? You know, it seems like the we, other day. Yeah, we, we, I know we passed the 10-year mark last, sometime last year, I think. So this is like 11 yeah. years, man. We, you know, we're, we're just getting old. That's it, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what could I tell you? I, 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 guess, I guess it would be prudent for us at this point. To start out the show, you know, every, every, there's so much going on with the loss of Bobby Halton. Um, I got my current my current version of the magazine, and of course, his editor's opinion is all uh, three or four pages of, of people who wrote little tributes and stuff. Um, I, I just found out also that uh, the, at FDIC this year on Wednesday night, there's a memorial for Bobby, uh, probably in the grand ballroom where the opening shows, you know, the opening ceremonies are. I'm thinking everybody's going to be invited. So uh, there's going to be a memorial for him, a, a fittingly, a fitting tribute to, to a guy who, who, who believed in three things, basically. He believed in God, country, sorry, fourth thing, God, country, family, and fire service, you know, and service before self and all that good stuff. So um, uh, it's it, it, interesting to, to read all the stuff. He, he touched he touched people in different ways. Like when you read all these little tributes, you know, everybody had kind of the same theme. Put a little twist on it, you know. And uh, yeah, I saw the uh, I, I saw the comments that were made by uh, our friend Jerry Tracy, our friend Jack yep. Murphy, and, and a lot of other uh, names in the fire service. And I thought it was a fitting tribute. Uh, and again, I agree with you, Ron. He meant so much to, to so many people. And uh, you know, we our lives all kind of crisscrossed and intersected with uh, the various people that we all know and network with. Uh, but it's a, it's a tremendous loss. I considered him a good friend. Uh, Bolts transplanted the East Coasters that uh, were working in New Mexico. So uh, yeah, right. there's a... guys ran parallel. Bolts started out on this side and ended up on that side. It, Almost in the same town, so that's 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 interesting, man. I, I didn't think about that. But he yeah, I used um, to call him on the 
I used to call him on the phone and say, what are you doing? And he said he was between suspensions. Yeah, yeah, he, he gave me that line once in a while. How, how you doing, Bobby? I'm between suspensions. I'm I'm good, you know. So, <laughs> but I wrote about I wrote about it on the blog on the fire engineering blog about how he and I met, met at a swim up bar in Phoenix. You know, it sounds very sexy, you know. And uh, we started trading bar, you know, just story. He, he happens to be a great a great lungs the joke teller and dirty joke guy, and so am I. I met my match that night, and before we knew it, we got 40 guys around us standing in the pool drinking. It's 6 o'clock at night in Arizona in August, but it's 120 at night, and we're standing in the pool drinking and telling jokes, and that, that was my intro to Bobby, and like I tell other people. And that night, he taught me how to crawl back to my room with dignity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, sure did. So that, that was the beginning, like they said in the movie, that's the, that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And uh, 27 years later, here we are, you know. So, you know, I, here's what I always say, Tommy. Some people leave their footprints when they go somewhere. They leave them in the sand. And then the tide comes in, and you never knew they were there. Bobby left his in cement. You know, that's oh, kind yeah. of my philosophy. But, uh, yeah, I, it, it, FDIC will be different this year. I think it'll be, still be good because I think everybody, I, I would assume, the people who are going to get to speak and, and make – Make you know whatever, whether it's a keynote or whether it's Dave Rhodes, they're, they're all. I assume they're all going to say, you know, we need to have a good time, and train and do what we do and network, because Bobby would have wanted it that way. You know, let's let's not be sad yep. here. Let's let's carry on his legacy and keep going. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know. Uh, yes, unfortunately, so, unfortunately, I am uh, sorry. I will not be joining you this year. For yeah, I, I whatever, heard it, I heard that effect. Uh, for whatever gotta, reason, the uh, uh, international training conference for the Arson Investigators Association got scheduled as at the same time as FDIC. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of committed to one uh, because I'm on the uh, board of directors for the IAAI Foundation, and uh, I, 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 I've got to be there. And uh, I hate not going to FDIC. And I, I, I'm remembering, Ron, the year that you had to skip and uh, <laughs> how much you felt like a fish out of water not being there. And I think I'm going to be in the same boat. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like you feel like well, you, you miss a couple of things. I, yeah, I didn't get there uh, back in uh, in uh, in uh, ninth. Well, twenty we didn't have it, but in seventeen, I had my back surgery and I, and that was it. I, I couldn't get there. I couldn't heal fast enough, so I couldn't get. And and I feel like I missed everything. The, the neat part, frankly, was was I was I was able. To, you know, they 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 live streamed the opening ceremonies, big set, sessions the next day. I was able to watch it. I mean, I was home, but it was almost like being there. That was kind of neat. And I got to see Bobby do his thing and the keynote speakers and all that stuff. And, and that was kind of, you know, thank God for technology, you know, so kind of puts you there when you can't be there. But it's, listen, the, the other part of it is, Tommy, you know, as you know, I, I've been calling this thing our family reunion for so many years. It's our family reunion. Yeah. You know, once you get to see certain guys and, and it's just, that's the part I kind of missed. And even, you know, uh, uh, in 2020, we didn't have it, so it's, it was that that little empty feeling, so to speak, you know. But uh, but uh, yeah, so sometimes you know things get in the way, and life gets in the way, and whatever. But uh, we'll, we'll go we'll we'll go when we can, and until we can't. Is that fair? Yes, <laughs> that is very yeah, fair. Yeah, we'll go when we can't, and then that'll be it. But uh, so I gotta enough, ask I... the question. Yes, you there? The, uh, uh, we're, uh, we're having a book club moment, and uh, it looks like you have uh, rung the bell once again and uh, trying to find some uh, really good reading material. You want to talk about uh, what you came across? I, I, I let me tell you something, pal. Mine, I thought my head was good. I'm up to page 130, and my my head exploded nine times. There were brains laying all over my freaking house right now. I got to tell you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for the sake of the group, uh, I'm reading a book called Show Me the Bodies, 
how the Grenfell, how we let Grenfell happen. And if you're not familiar, the Grenfell fire was in 2017 in a high rise in in the UK. And and uh, it, this this guy is a, a an author, a writer, an investigator, reporter. He's got all that background, and did a phenomenal job. You know, he went to the trials, the hearings, the investigations, all that stuff. And and the UK, the UK, washed their hands of anything in the world of code enforcement or anything because they they were trying to, they thought they would rebuild their economy and say, all right, you know what? We don't want to get in the way of business people. We don't want to put a burden on them. So they let, they, they, they went to self-certification on a lot of stuff and, and knowingly, and they had, listen, Grenfell wasn't, wasn't the first high rise fire they had with combustible cladding on the outside of a high rise building. They had a couple of bad ones before that. The six people died, a dozen people died. And after all of those, there was an inquiry. And, and they didn't change their rules. They turned their backs on it. And then Grenfell happened, and now 74 people got killed. And as, as I'm reading the book, and they talk about investigations and, you know, the suggestion, they, 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 had, a, they had a test similar to what we would do at UL or FM on flammability ratings and stuff. And they had this old data and they hung their hat on that forever and ever and, and then you know it, 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 it this was plain as day i mean it the cladding they're using on on buildings and they're still using on it in the uk and in the in the middle east by the way they had some horrendous high-rise fires in the middle east as well uh with all of that leading up to grenfell nobody made a move everybody washed their hands or turned their back it will blow your mind when you read how indifferent the government is and was in the UK for all of these all of these alarm bells going off. It's, it'll blow your mind. It's called you know, Shaw's um, Bodies. Um, the reason why um, he, he titled it Shaw's Bodies is because one of the government officials, when they were looking at this, said, well, you know, a couple of people died like, you know, 20, 10 years ago and a few in the Middle East, but, you know, show me the bodies. You know, we're not going to make a legislative move. We don't have a body count. So... This 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 one is going to blow your mind when you read it. Absolutely blow your mind when when you look at the indifference uh, on the on the part of the UK government. It just it, it'll, it it'll it'll shock the hell out of you, man. You know it, uh, it it kind of surprises me. And I ordered the book the other day. I haven't had a chance to to, to get into it. But I mean, we I always look to the UK for uh, the example of. Uh, fixed fire protection. I mean, you didn't you didn't build anything there, relatively new, uh, without going through a a, a code process that I considered to be tougher than uh, what we did in the United States. Well, it it appears that all of these high rises are I forgot what they well they call them blocks. They call them like like a high rise on a block, so they call them like high rise blocks. But it, it's it's a building. Um, but these seem to be like like government housing. Huh. So cut corners, and uh, I mean this Gren- Grenfell was twenty twenty six stories or twenty five stories. No fire alarm in the building. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's so. Uh, that was for you. Where are we going? Queens. Where are we going? <laughs> the city never sleeps, Queens. So, uh, uh, so to, other than the combustible cladding on the outside of the building, which is really for this, this is like the cheapest, worst form of an EFAS system that you'll ever see. Because we use an EFAS here in, in in this country, and even in the city, they, they let them put EFAS on a building no, no bigger than seven stories. But the EFAS systems, when they're put on right and everything, you know, that you, you, you can manage. We've had some EFAS fires. The Monte Carlo Hotel in, in Vegas had a, had a pretty good EFAS fire, but but this stuff wasn't even close. So on top of that, when they put when they put windows in these buildings, they're they're vinyl frames. Now the EFAS, oh. this this clad, which is two pieces of thin sheet metal, and they make a sandwich with poly with poly uh, polyurethane in the middle. Well, you know, that's uh, what they call it. Yeah, polyurethane, polystyrene. So it's a sandwich. But so it starts to yeah. burn and it's going fear. And now it, as it hits the windows, it's melting the window frames out. And the fire's going right into the building, and it did it right up to the top. Wow. 
as people describe witnesses. Said I, I, I smelled the smoke. I saw the flames licking up from the floor below, and then like my windows fell in. It was just <laughs> it melted the window frames. I mean this this whole thing was so substandard, and nobody nobody wanted to hear about it. They didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want to put a burden on the industry. They let them self certify. What a freaking mess! What a freaking wow! And everybody who came into government, starting with Thatcher, and then everybody after her, started that trend of, of let's not put a burden on, on business and industry and let's rebuild the country better and improve our economy. And they went into this thing on deregulation. They called it one out of three, one out of two and one out of three. If you put a new regulation, you've got to take three away. Wow. So that's timing process. If they wanted to change something in fire safety, they would have had to remove three other things out of the code book. So it, it'll blow your mind when you read this thing, man. And, and anybody out there, in, in not, not just in code, code enforcement and fire protection, but if you're a member of the fire service, you need to read this book. You've got to read it and, and see how, how things can go real bad real fast. The London Fire Brigade has, like, no say in any of this code stuff, it appears. And, and they, yeah, frankly, it says in the book they were not prepared for this fire at all. And we're not ready. Wow. We got the incident. Incident commander uh, was uh, like equivalent to a captain, and he was on scene probably. I'm going all hands, Tom, just so you know. <laughs> well, okay. So, <laughs> uh, he, he was he was not he didn't have the right training to be an incident commander with a high rise job. Um, they couldn't figure it out. They didn't understand it. They really they they perform poorly it's it's and 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 you know I'm, I'm not we're not telling stories out of school but everything that that i've read so far and even the the first accounts when it first happened that were all on on you know online and on the web said that the yeah. london fire brigade had a hard time i mean eventually they had 25 units on the scene and and you know 130 men or so but they they, they didn't know about the cladding they didn't know that it could be on the building how it how it behaves how to try to get above it to stop it. They didn't know it. Well, they had no knowledge that the, that the windows were made of plastic and they were melting in, you know, the window frames. So, uh, but, but they really didn't have the wherewithal or the, the, uh, the structure or the training to even deal with a fire like that that was going up right through the building. It was crazy. Wow. Crazy time. Yeah, so uh, you read that one, and then we'll talk about it again on air so we can, we can further enlighten our, our listeners. Okay. <laughs> cool. Bad fires. Um, uh, last week was the 20th anniversary of the uh, Station Nightclub fire in West Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, 100 people died in that fire. Uh, speaking of books, folks, if, if, if you're a reader, get a book called Killer Show. Killer Show written by John Barilic, B-A-R-Y-L-I-C-K, the, uh, was the attorney for the plaintiffs after the fire uh, in the civil suit. The civil case paid out $176 million to the victims. Uh, but his account and the research this guy did was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, everything from, the, you know, the club, how it was built, when it was built, uh, who the owners were, and then everyone who had a ticket that night to see the band, you know, how they got their tickets and, you know, uh, names. And he just really – and then talked about the fire investigation, the, the aftermath. And then, and then, of course, you know the the, the, the results and all that. But uh, yeah, that's another. If, if you're a code enforcement person, you got to read Killer Show. But it's hard to believe it's 20 years, um, 100 people. No, they man, did. It's, it's, seems like the other day. Yeah, they did build a memorial park for the victims. They tore down the club, and there's a memorial park there. Uh, I saw some. Some uh, pictures, nothing, no detail, like from kind of farish away. But if I get up to that neck of the woods one day, I'll, I'll have to stop by there. We, we, we still have, you know, we all, we all seen and or have the live footage from inside the club. I, I have it, and and we're showing it, we're showing it to our personnel. Uh, we're, as you know, Tommy, we're running uh, leadership academies for our supervisory personnel in the Bureau of Fire Prevention. We showed it to them. And, and we we got a probing class coming in March 13th of 50 inspectors, and we show it to them. And we talk about we do a half a day on large loss fires in, in throughout, not just in New York City, but throughout the country, and talk about these as case histories. And we show that footage to the class, and we and, and all these other large loss fires, you know, 
the Beverly Hills Supper Club, of course, Coconut Grove, and of course, of course, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, which is what where, where our bureau was born from. Your fire prevention came a year after the Triangle Fire. So we talk about these and we say, this is why you're here. You know, we, we drum it into their head. This is why you're here, to prevent stuff like this. You know, so, we, uh, uh, we, we were talking about uh, human behavior uh, at fires at the arson conference today. And the instructor showed the uh, the, the raw footage from uh, the station, and uh, you know the the, the uh, I guess the the imprint in my mind is you know you always hear people stuck like cordwood, but you didn't really what understand what that meant until the station nightclub fire when you saw people just laying on top of each other. And completing completely block, uh, blocking the the main uh, exit out of, out of the building. Yep. I, I mean, it's just very. Oh God! It, 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 I, I can't imagine how much people suffered. Yeah. They, well, the, the the thing is, you know, in, in about uh, about the four and a half minute mark from the time it starts, you hear sirens. West Warwick is on the way in, but. By the time they get there and set up, and, and there wasn't much they could do. They stretched the line, but what else are they going to do? They couldn't do much other yeah. than that. They could not. The fire was so big. It's the whole front of the building's on fire, and, and you you, under, you have to understand at that moment that that whole front door where those people were stacked up, that became a crematorium right there. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that those folks were knocked out from smoke before they, they went on fire. Uh, interestingly enough, Tommy, there was one survivor in the doorway. It was, it was it was a young yeah young man. He was on the bottom of the pile. The bodies insulated him from the fire. He was actually insulated, and when they started to dig out the bodies hours later and take them off the top one at a time, he uh, in in a semi funny moment he reached out and grabbed the boot of a fireman in the middle of all that, and that guy was screaming like a little girl, needless to say. But uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I would I would have had to go to the locker room and change my pants. I'm thinking, but uh, yeah, they they did they, they, they found a survivor underneath of all that. But but we, we you know we we show it to our people and say this is why you're here. This is why you know we tell them two things. You got to go and you got to look at the building and look at the people in the building. Look at the people that are in the building. Well, no matter what kind of building you're in, whether it's a factory or a high rise or whatever it is, look at the people. Those you know that's. Those are your family members, other stuff, and all. You know, all. It's uh, it's unfortunate, Tom, but it it always it always brings it back home for me when we do that class, that 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 uh, history uh, of large lost fires, and and it it kind of boggles your mind, saying, God, how do how do how did this happen, time after time after time after time, you know? And we start with Triangle, and, and when we go to Natchez, Mississippi, to the Rhythm Club, and then we go to Oakland yeah. Grove. Go to Coconut Grove, and then we go to uh, this Beverly Hills Supper Club, and then we go to uh, we, we go to what do you call it, uh, Happy Land Social Club in the Bronx, and then uh, then uh, Station Nightclub, and you know, and then the stuff in between. So it's it's when you, you st- if, if you do a body count, you know, just just those half a dozen fires, about a thousand people, you know. So like we we you know we got to we got to stay with it. We talk about the cause of all those fires and stuff that was found. You know, like when they on Triangle, when they finally when they got to the fire escapes, the whole fire escape collapsed. It came off the building. It was rotted in mustard, so it killed people on the way down. So we, then we ask our guys, "You still find a rusty fire escape?" Yeah. You find it? You know, five uh, Yeah, we do. You know. The uh, I think the Beverly Hills Supper Club fire happened about a year after I got on the the fire department in Jersey. And uh, I think it was 77. 77, yeah. And I guess it really did set in as a young firefighter of uh, some of the things that that happened there. And I didn't really have my eyes open to that until I went and sat on a class that uh, our friend Glenn Corbett did on, uh, on everything that occurred there. And again, just some great lessons learned. Unfortunately, uh, a bunch of people paid for that lesson, 
uh, with their lives. Yeah, well, that 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 was a, a combination of of severe overcrowding. I mean, if you could if you could picture a, a nightclub, the way to see tiered, you know, you have like the bottom tier, and then it goes up a little bit, and it goes up. So you're sitting in a supper club, and it's like four or five tiers. Well, they have these big wide stairways on the right, the left, and the center to go down to the like right in front of the stage, you know, stage side. Uh, they had yeah. tables and chairs on those wide stairways. So that compounded the problem. But now, all these years later, Tommy, we were FDIC about six, seven years ago when Corbett did a thing there, and he had some of, he had some of the survivors wrote books. Yeah, and uh, that was the, uh, the thing that kind of opened my eyes to uh, some of what was going on in there. Yeah, so, so some, some of the help after 30 years, you know, kind of got together again and said, you know what, that, that fire happened too fast. There were two guys that we didn't recognize that were working in the ceiling, and they were working yep. in the zebra room and all of that stuff. And well, as as the story goes, the mob wanted to control of that place because it was a it was a money maker, and the owner said no. So they went in there on a Saturday night. It appears that uh, they lit the place on fire, and there were combustible wall coverings and you know inadequate exits, and there was no code enforcement at all in Southgate, Kentucky. It was at one time there was a part time volunteer fire inspector, and so it led to that tragedy. I think 164 fatalities at the, at the Beverly Hills. So basically, on, on getting back to uh, the station, it's it's already 20 years, February of uh, 2003. So we 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 use those. Unfortunately, you know, we have so many case histories, but we still use them, and and we show our people and. and Everybody else should be looking at it, too, you know, other than fire marshals, fire inspectors. And, you know, a lot of places, the local fire company, administrative company goes and does inspections and all that other stuff. So uh, I got a couple of things here. You got something you want to uh, bring up? You know, uh, and I, I think I called you or texted you right after uh, – the the kind of rash of multiple alarm fires that have been happening in uh, your your city and uh, the four alarm fire in Staten Island. Uh, the the latest I've seen on it is uh, three firefighters remain in uh, critical condition, and there were 22 injured on scene in that uh, that building collapse. Uh, anything new on the, on how the brothers are doing there? Yeah, actually, uh, the, the three guys that got our two of them had some burns, first and second degree. Uh, nothing worse than second, thank goodness. And the, the guy that was more critical, he, 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 was, he was hit by stuff in the collapse. Uh, hitting, and, of course, he had his helmet on and all, but it knocked him for a loop. So he's got, you know, they're still trying to figure out what his – but as of, as of Friday late afternoon – I spoke to one of the uh, staff chiefs. I spoke to one of the bosses. They said it could have been a lot worse. We got lucky. You know, you and I were talking about uh, John Norman before. In John Norman's book, Working with Giants, uh, they were in a very precarious position at one of the fires. That's when he was in rescue. And, and they just barely get out. I mean, they just get at their teeth. They, they, they didn't get killed. And, and John said to the crew when they were out on the sidewalk laying there, you know, just <laughs> sucking air and, and praying to God, Saying, boy, we were lucky. And one of his guys looked at him and said, Chief, uh, Lieutenant, I'd rather be lucky than good. Lucky than good. So these guys were lucky. And, and so with some minor burns on two of them, the other guy got hit in the head, knocked his mask off and stuff. I think he got some smoke and everything. So, But, uh, yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And, and it was, a, it was a, a pair of duplex frame houses uh, attached and the wind started whipping up. It was a wind-driven. It was hot, and it was uh, fast. Okay. You know, it, it, and it was interesting. Actually, what happened was it, it came in. I was at the Rock Friday teaching, and, and my phone, I, I have it on silent when I'm teaching, but it buzzes. So on a break, I look at it, and we just break it. And it said, you know, it said work and fire, 1075, and that was it. So we get back after break. It's a 15-minute break. Ah, before I go on, let me see what they're doing. And it's a fourth alarm. It's like in 15 <laughs> minutes, really? But as so, soon as they had the collapse and as soon as they, these guys got it, they, they just started calling extra alarms to get more people there to make sure they had enough bodies, you know, if they had a, 
spot to dig to rubble stuff. But they got him out quick, got him to the hospital, and, and uh, it just looks great. I'm going to be okay. But uh, we, uh, you know, just on that same note, you know, the the uh, the battery fires are still coming. The battery fires are still coming. We had two last week alone, one on Monday, one on Friday. But this is this is another enigma that's going to be with us for a while. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And it's not just in New York City. I mean, everybody's getting – the urban centers are, are with this more than anybody else. You know, yeah. I'm thinking where you live You live in Farmington, if one of your neighbors has a, a, a battery-operated bike, you know, you don't have to bring it in the house. You just park it, like, in the middle of the, of, of the lawn. Nobody's going to take it yeah. overnight. No. <laughs> and he'll find it there in the morning. Where in the urban centers, you got to bring it in the house because you won't find it in the morning, and and that's the problem we're having. And it's 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 not the UL battery; it's the knockoffs that they're buying them for cheaper. And and also, you know, there's a lot lot to do. With also, you know, as as this time goes on, we're digging in further. It seems that the battery charger has to be compatible with the battery too. Uh, so it's it's almost like they tell you, like even with your phone. You know, you get that little charger, that little cube you plug into the wall for your, your iPhone that comes with, you know, your your uh, your Apple iPhone, whatever it is. They say use that one. You buy a knockoff in the store, you can start to run into problems. So e- even for that, they tell you to use the manufacturers, but they're compatible with each other, you know. So, uh. you know, the, the, beat, the, the beat continues to go on with the batteries, you know, that's, and then so we keep we keep going. The fire marshals are tracking that for us in the city. They're being called to all the battery fires. Uh, they go to fires to investigate anyway, but they're tracking the battery fires for us. So, what can I tell you? You know, what goes I'm, on with that. I'm glad to, glad to see that, uh, you know, you guys were pretty proactive about, uh, you know, getting some education out there uh, for everybody in the, your organization. And uh, kudos for you guys for for stepping up that 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 effort, that that was all Frank Lee, man. I'll tell you, that guy's a dynamo. Uh, he, at the time, he was chief of training, and the fire academy came under him, and he started a whole bunch of things it, it, with training. And and one of them was, you know what? Because uh, we're learning as we go. You know, hazmat guys are saying, you know, we're we're building the airplane as we're flying it. As the, that's that's the quote. <laughs> we're building the plane as we're flying. It, you know. So little by little, it's not going to all these calls. You know, the first couple, you know, the guys took, you know, it was the batteries. So they took it, they stuck it, and let's okay, let's do it. Put it in the bucket of water. We'll drown it. You know, so they go down the elevator with the bucket of water with the battery, okay, and then they get out to the rig, and they take, they're, they're putting the hose back, and the thing boils the water out of the bucket and goes on fire again. So that was a lesson <laughs> learned. Thank God, right? So. On and on. So they're learning like everybody else. And then it got to the point where last September they, 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 we hosted a, uh, a lithium-ion battery seminar, two days. We did a, a conf- two-day conference at The Rock. Uh, so, yeah, we just, you know, it's, that's all, frankly. Uh, he was, uh, he was uh, transferred out of training recently. He's not a chief of safety. So good, good man to have in safety as well. There was no doubt about it. But the kudos to him because he – He's a forward thinker. He, he's big on, on safety. He's big on cancer. Big big guy on cancer prevention and washing the gear and all that stuff. So the, the job's lucky to have him. But it's all about sharing, and that's he, he's into that. You know, you could see him on. He's on LinkedIn. He, uh, he you know he's speaking to conferences. He's just going out and preaching. He's spreading the word in the interest of you know. So yep, cool. Well, uh, and uh, I I see that. Uh... The city has appointed a new deputy, uh, first deputy fire commissioner, and uh, somebody that is very familiar to those of us that watched the uh, the video of the initial uh, attack on the uh, the World Trade Center, and uh, I'd like to offer him our congratulations on his new position, and wish him all the best with that. Um, yeah, which, well, welcome I, back, Joe Pfeiffer. Welcome back. So I, I was uh, looking at a deal, Ron, that uh, happened up on the uh, Northern California freeway, and it was a Tesla apparently ran into uh, some fire apparatus that was uh, positioned correctly uh, trying to shield the guys working uh, working a wreck. Uh, 
there were personnel in the uh, in the apparatus when it when it got hit, but uh, thankfully uh, they didn't suffer a traumatic injury. But the driver of the Tesla was killed uh, in the accident. Uh, what the question is with some of this is: is was this a you know a, a, a DUI case, or was it because the uh, automation was turned on in the Tesla? And the, there's really no answer right now as to how the autopilot system reacts to emergency vehicles. Uh, there's been media reports out there that uh, four, uh, 14 Teslas have crashed into emergency vehicles while they were using the autopilot system. So I don't know whether this is going to cause uh, National uh, going back in and looking at these things and seeing uh, whether there's kind of a fluke in the, the design of the uh, autopilot system that's not recognizing uh, fire apparatus parked on the side of the highway. Well, you know, for, for me, right off the bat, this is, to me, this is the federal government, NHTSA, and DOT. They, they have to outlaw self-piloted vehicles, period. That, that put, the problem goes away. They, they got to take Elon Musk head on and say, no, this is no fucking good. We're going to be killed. We're, we're, you're already killing people. The, the, the poor driver of his car got killed, whether he was DUI or whatever. But let's say he wasn't for a second. This, this doesn't work. And now you said, I, I didn't even know. There's actually a statistic where, where these cars on autopilot are running into fire trucks. That doesn't work for me, man. The federal government no. is going to say, all bets are off. That, that, that's, that's, that's kind of where I stand. You know, put out, put, change the federal laws on this stuff. They, they did it a million times for pollution controls and the cars and all this shit, you know, and seat belts and all this other stuff. No autopilot with vehicle, period. It's outlawed in the United States. Just outlaw it, get rid of it, done. You know, but someone has to have a set of balls to do it. I don't know who's got the set of balls now in, in the government to do it. So, don't know. See, they, 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 the government's come out in battery everything. Bat, you know, everything that we want to go to battery, we want to get rid of oil. Okay, first of all, you're not going to get rid of oil, but that, yeah. that's the stance of the government. Everything's alternative fuels. So, they, they probably don't want to. They don't want to fight with, with, with Elon Musk because he, he's, he's kind of filling their dream, you know. But, you know, when, when this, to what end? You know, to what end? So I, I don't know. But for me, for me, you know, have, putting cars on autopilot, is, that's a, to me, that's a ridiculous thing to do. If you drive the car, drive the car, you know, period. Oh. Well, you know, there seems to be a, enough issue with them, with uh, the battery systems, and uh, from what I've read on them, uh, the amount of water it takes to extinguish one of them and keep the fire out is pretty phenomenal. That's and that's uh, sometimes a hard thing for uh, those of us in rural America uh, to maintain that type of fire flow. Uh, and it ain't going to happen. It, it's probably going to be a question of all right, you're probably going to have to let this one burn and uh, not be able to perform uh, fire suppression operations uh, to, to any level of success. That was that was the initial thinking on, on a cough fire like that. Protect the exposures and let it burn. Let it, any of these things with batteries. You know, even even that's they're doing the city. If, if there's no exposures or, or, or protect the exposures and let it do its thing, burn itself all the way out instead of trying to put it out. Just protect the exposures and let it finish. If you don't let it finish, it's going to keep coming back until it's in a precarious place and it's going to come back and start another fire. So, you know, you got a Tesla on fire, let it burn. Just protect the exposures. That's all. Let it, let it do its thing. You better, because it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a runaway chemical reaction. You know, it's just like in a lab yeah. when they have a runaway, just like a runaway chemical reaction, it's the same thing. Let it, go. Let it go. So, speaking of uh, kind of chemical reactions, uh, the East Palestine train derailment. I see. I wrote uh, that one. Up? We're on the same page. I wrote that one down too. See, 
I'm trying to figure out whose bright idea it was to do a controlled explosion. Now, first of all, I'm thinking controlled explosion is kind of like an oxymoron. Uh, jumbo shrimp, military intelligence, all the other things that uh, that go along in that venue. Uh, right. I, 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 you know, and, and I don't have all the information, but I, I do question uh, how that decision got made. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish my old buddy John Eversall was around. You know, John, John was was the chairman of the Hazmat Committee at the I Chiefs. Oh, yeah. I served on that committee. I served for 15 years. He was the SOC chief out of Chicago, and, and he was just – he had such a great outlook on that kind of stuff. And he, he was the first guy I would have called and said, what the hell, you know? And and so I, I don't know. I, I, you know. I don't know what they're thinking. I, I don't know what they're doing. It, it's evident that, that they, they're not giving the people the right information or enough information the, the governor's up in arms, the local politicians, they're up and on. The federal EPA for help, they told them no. I mean, it's, there's all kinds of bad shit going on here in Ohio with this thing. You know, people don't know if they could drink the water. The governor said go to bottle just in case. You know, they, they're not sure how much of it's in the ground. I mean, it, and, and it's it, it, according to the last thing I read, the, 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 the way, the, the consist or the way bill for the train didn't, didn't even show that these cars had hazmat in them. Uh, and or they didn't notify authorities, you know, that that uh, that they had hazmat uh, on this train. So uh, it's there's there's a lot there's a lot more to come on this thing. I think it's it's a little early yet, but I think there's a little bit more to come. You know. Oh yeah, the uh, it, it looks like from uh, you know what's reported in the media that the lawsuits are starting to fly already. I bet. Yeah, they had ten has they had ten cars of hazmats, including vinyl chloride. You know, that's always a fun thing to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you? Yeah, we had it's funny, when I was at Merck, we used to use a, a chemical vinyl chloride, T H I O N Y L vinyl chloride. And they say that was worse than vinyl chloride. <laughs> so great, thank you. Glad I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> You don't have the uh, third eye growing out of your forehead yet, so I think you're okay. Uh, soon, I got one, I got I have a, I have a third eye out of my ass, so I can see behind me. That counts. I don't know if that counts, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, what can so I tell you, man? The the, the, the yeah, Captain bro. Obvious, the Captain Obvious moment I had today while I was uh, kind of perusing through the. Uh, the different uh, fire media venues was a uh, story out of Buckeye, Arizona. And uh, apparently three of their ambulances have been stolen while they're at the hospital. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And uh, I wonder what the cause of that was. And uh, apparently if you leave your ambulance running while it's parked at the emergency room in Buckeye, somebody's going to come by and steal it. So the Captain Obvious moment was shut the ambulance off and take the keys with you. Disagree. I can't disagree. Uh, yeah, you would have thought that after the first one they might have done that, right? Uh, yeah, and, they, and I mean, they had reasons why they wanted to, uh, to keep the bus running and, uh, you know, a quicker response, getting out of the hospital. Some other stuff, but I mean, if somebody's stealing your rigs, I would have thought that maybe after the first one they'd say, eh, "We need to look at this policy." Yeah, well, you know what? I, I, if it's cold, you know, if the, if the, if the ambulances are diesels, and it's a ten degree day, I get it, but you got to put somebody out there to watch it. Yeah, you know, the, the three ambulance crews—they can't go in and into the ER lounge and have coffee and think nothing's going to happen. So they go, you got to get, you know, somebody's got to stay out there and or a security guy or somebody, you know. But, uh, oh, well, hopefully there's a lesson learned there someplace. I'm not sure where or what. But but speak, speaking of that, um, as, as you may remember, Tom, uh, in, uh, let me see, when was that? In, uh, I think it's three, uh, three or four years ago already. Um uh, 
we had one of our one of our EMTs in the city, uh, a young lady. Somebody, a guy jumped on the back step of the rig. So she put it in park and got out because she just heard something like that that hit the rig. So she thought she got hit. <clears throat> when she got out, went around the back, and he went around into the driver's seat and he and he took he stole the ambulance, but he ran dragged her and ran her over. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so recently, uh, I guess his trial's coming up or something. He 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 said that he he says actually no. He says you got it all wrong. He says I'm a, I'm a hero. He says uh, he says I, first of all he says I didn't jump on the back. I I opened up the passenger door and she said oh you're bleeding get in I'll take you to the hospital. And, and then he told other investigators that he, he went through the back. He opened up the back door and crawled through. So he had two different stories, and he calls him hero. This guy, and he killed this girl, and he left his two—he left her two daughters without a mother. So, uh, the, the beat goes on with that. Okay, he, he wants to be a hero, <laughs> but uh, sorry, he's he's a, the, the audacity of some people just amazes me. Is, is that incredible? I mean, it's incredible, but that now they're saying. Just saying, he's got some problems and he's just got some mental issues and all that. But, but uh, yeah, it's not. It's nuts. It's a little bit, a little nutty thing. Um, the other thing I came across also, Tommy, uh, had a young firefighter in, in Watertown, New York, upstate. He, he died in, in uh, on March third, twenty twenty one, just about a year ago, two years ago already, at a training, at a training session at the fire academy upstate. Uh, New York. Yeah, and uh, he was he was in one of these small kind of a confined space, like a tunnel, just kind of crawling through it, you know. And, and he's having some, whether he had a a, a uh, what do you call it, maybe a, a anxiety, or he was having a real you know, another medical type thing. He started yelling, "I can't breathe! I can't breathe!" And the the instructors, they didn't react, you know, you know, shut up and keep going, kind of stuff, and that hard line and. And 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 then they, they they denied that they even heard him. Three other fight, three other junior fight, well, that's your probationary fight. They heard him. They testified. They heard him say, "I can't breathe." And yet, no one was held accountable for this thing. In the, the know, final uh, investigation, they, they, no one was held accountable for this. Uh, even with three no, witnesses uh, that say they tell, "I can't breathe," so now the parents are going to sue the shit out of the instructors. The academy, the state of New York, and everybody else involved. When the uh, the report came out that uh, no one was being held criminally liable, I was I was personally shocked because I thought uh, for as many uh, agencies that have looked at this thing, the fact that uh, the only recourse is civil litigation, uh, I'm amazed. Uh, I don't, yeah. and uh, I don't know whether the instructors have been uh, reprimanded or, or fired or anything like that. Uh, but you know, it was uh, the Watertown uh, Fire Department that was one of their members in the Academy of Montour Falls, and it sounded right. like they were doing some uh, kind of uh, mayday escape, get out of the box. Uh, kind of deal, but you know, it kind of disturbed me when I read the uh, when I read the report where uh, you know he talked about not being able to breathe and uh, there was no uh, immediate action taken uh, to try to rectify that situation. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, how, how could no one be held responsible? I, I don't understand that, Tommy. I really don't. How, how could no. no one be held responsible? You know, and I'm not I'm not looking to hang a brother here, but but you know someone's got to someone's got to stand you know, say all right yeah we, we screwed up or, you know it's our fault or we didn't hear him or whatever or they, they already said they didn't hear him but there were three other kids that were there saying hey he's yelling he can't breathe they ignored him you know they they took that that hard that hardline boot camp thing and here's a 21 year old kid you know and he's not here now so and you got to feel for the parents. Oh yeah. You know, listen, you, I, I, I've said it so many times that training and all the work I did with, with the Fallen Firefighters Foundation and all the, the training we did there and trying to prevent line of duty deaths, we should never, ever, ever kill any of our people at training. We, we listen. Sometimes we run into circumstances on the scene 
where it's beyond our control, you know, like a building collapse, you know, a wind-driven fire, or things just change really fast. But but at training, training is the most is the most controlled thing we do. Of all the stuff that we do in the fire service, training is the most controlled thing that we do. And we should never, shy of, of you know, someone having a real medical emergency, you know, working hard and then, you know, having a heart attack, whether it's a, a 25 or a 55-year-old guy, whatever. But but short of that, short of that, uh, I mean, we really never be killing anybody at training. That's, that's a really, it's the only thing we can control. And, and so... And when I see these training deaths, and, and there's been there's been many over the years. Oh there's yeah, too many over the years. You know, and and uh, they had one a couple of years ago. Guys were doing dive training. One of the one of the firefighters drowned during dive training. You know, yeah. and and that was, that was the time I was in Wilton, and I had a dive team. And and uh, dead of winter, they, they're going out to the quarry to practice. And I said, where the hell are you going? Oh, we go out every year, Chief. We go under the ice, okay? And now, like, the hair is up in the back of my neck because that's the only place I have any hair left, all right? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you're going, you're going under the ice, really? I said, I said, sit down. I, I told the captain and, and the, the other team leader, I said, tell me how you do this. Explain to me exactly how you run your drill. So they did. They did. They said, first thing we do is we cut two, two triangular holes in the ice, which I thought was very interesting. And the reason why they cut triangular holes is because it gives them it gives you a straight edge. When you come up out of the water, you have a straight instead of a circle, you have a straight edge to get your arms and elbows up to help yourself get out of the water. So I thought that was pretty interesting. He says, and, and everybody yeah. goes down on the table. Second hole, we got two guys addressed at the second hole, ready to go down and, and help the other guy out. But we have to practice under the ice because we're going to get kids that are going to fall through. We're going to we're going to do an ice rescue someday. And we have to be prepared for that. So I felt a little bit better. I said, okay. I said, I'll put up the soup for when you get back. You know, it was a 15-degree <laughs> day. Yeah, I'll make you soup. But I was I was worried. To all That whole time they were out, man, I was worried sick. I was just, that's all I thought of. I had my my mind was with them. I was doing other shit, but I, my, my mind was with those guys over at rehearsal because I, I know you got to rehearse, but. You know, but they took, they really took all the precautions they needed to take, and, and I felt a, a tiny bit better, you know, and the soup was good, you know, we did okay with the soup. Um, you know, uh, one happened? of the things, one of the things I, uh, and I don't know the full story behind it, but the, uh, the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis uh, really now involves a number of fire department personnel. And the lieutenant yep. two yep. firefighters have been fired. And uh, I think uh, uh, Billy G had posted the uh, uh, the release of that information from the uh, Memphis fire chief. And it looks like, uh, you know, the, the big issue is uh, not following protocol and the patient assessment. And, uh, but it, I don't want to say it happened too quick. But uh, maybe it needed to happen immediately. I don't know. Uh, you know, there. But for the grace of God, I never had to deal with anything like that in the uh, the two fire chief positions that I was in. But uh, again, kind of a black eye for the uh, the folks in Memphis. Oh, and no, no doubt. And and, and I, you know. It, uh, I, it, it, I, now, listen, none of us were there. You know, that, that's the key. You know, when everybody's everybody's very, very quick to draw and shoot, you know, ready, fire, aim at the cops, at the fire department, whoever, you know. And everybody's super hypersensitive to everything today, no matter what it is. And and and, and so uh, if, in fact, I mean, you know, I, I didn't see anything. I, I saw some of the, cam, the body cam footage and stuff. You know, I'm not sure why the cops went up, went on this, went on top of this guy. I have no idea why they treated him like that. Uh, it, it looked like he was he was surrendering, but we weren't. I wasn't there. Maybe maybe shit happened before they turned the cap. I don't know. I don't know. You know, either way, it's it's a terrible situation. Uh, young man, young man, another young man dead, and and uh, you know, but so I I I don't know. I I don't know where it starts and ends today. You know, whether 
you know, uh, did, did, the medics, did the medics start to wear body camps? Because the body camp thing was originally by the cops was like, no, no, we're not wearing them. But they realized that they were better off wearing it because it protected them. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a good person and you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, that, that's your insurance. That, that tells the world that you did the right thing for the right reasons. So the cops, after a while, they kind of went, so you don't want to wear that. So, but I don't know what these guys were doing or what they were thinking, and, and, and I'm not sure you know, how, how, it, how it all ends. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of in the middle of all that now uh, until I, – I, I, I don't know when the whole thing ends, when, when people start to realize that, wait a minute, you know, we, we, we all need to calm down and we, you know, everybody needs to just behave a little better and everything. And, and, and I understand why people get outraged by stuff like that. I understand that, man, because it's like, what the hell? You know, you, you, it's, you try to make heads or tails of it. You know? And so I, I'm not sure where it ends or how. I don't have the answer. If I had the answer, I'd get a few surprised, but I don't. I don't have the answer. But we just, I, I just pray, we pray for peace, man. That's what I took care People say, hey, what's going on? Pray for peace, I tell them. You know, right here in this country, we pray for peace. So we can do, keep going and uh, do the best we can. Listen, we, the fire service, you know, we're, we're the premier agency. I don't care what anybody says. People call us when they're in trouble. We go there and we help them. You know, and if our people don't help and if those fire personnel didn't do what they were supposed to do, then, then maybe they got what they deserve. You know, uh, again, we weren't there, you know, and, and so – I think when a lot of this stuff happens, you know, for those of us who weren't there, which is most of us, uh, you got to keep your gun holstered, so to speak, and, and don't draw and wait for the investigations to play out and see what's what. That's all, that's all we can do is wait for the investigations to finish and then look at it and say, well, I agree or I don't agree. But we weren't there. We weren't in Memphis when it happened. We don't know what went on between the cops and this young man or the fire people who were on the scene, whatever. So. Hard to make judgments there, and, and certainly we don't want to make judgments if, if we don't know all the facts. That's my that's my my premier statement for tonight. Don't make judgments if you don't know the facts. How's, how's that sound? Pretty good. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Oh, I got a perfect out of you. So, Tom, do you have a roll call for tonight? Yes, I do. And uh, please, we were last on the air January ninth, and uh, there have been. Six line of five line of duty deaths. Uh, the first is uh, Charles Chad Kate from Callum County Fire District Number Three in Washington, uh, an unknown medical at the station on January twelfth. Uh, Kevin Daly from the uh, Middleport Fire District in Ohio, a vehicle collision that occurred back in September. He uh, sir came to his injuries on January 24th. Uh, Bob Gardner from the Richmond, Carolina Fire District in Rhode Island uh, had a heart attack after a call on January 26th. Uh, Brandon Norberry from the Gresham Fire Department in Oregon. Uh, had suffered an unknown medical emergency after a training on February 1st. And Trey Evans uh, Dumarin from the uh, County of uh, Maui Fire uh, Department in Hawaii uh, drowned uh, during an incident on February 4th. Uh, again, let's uh, keep these folks' families and co-workers and your thoughts and prayers, and if there are lessons to be learned from this, heed those lessons. Mr. Cameron, I think that's all I've got. Yeah, before we sign off, uh, we, we got another note from our good friend Richie McKee in, uh, in Maryland a few weeks ago, and, and uh, Richie wanted uh, Richie McKee is a retired battalion chief out of uh, Prince George's County. We work with Richie uh, at the uh, National Memorial Services every year in Emmitsburg. He's our uh, traffic safety and crowd control coordinator. Great, great guy, works really hard for the foundation. But uh, he thought he thought he would ask us, it would be worth mentioning, that in fact um, 
after Firefighter Moon was killed in the firehouse in uh, Rescue 2 uh, back around the holidays. He, he was an organ donor, and he saved five other people, including two firefighters. He, they, they donated his organs to uh, five people after he died in that tragic fall, and including two, I think there were two retired firefighters. So Rich thought it would be prudent for us to, uh, to further that cause and say, if you never thought about organ donation, think about it. It saves other lives. And, and, and uh, thank you, Richie, for, for dropping us that note so we can get that word out. We appreciate you, man. And all the work you do for the foundation and for Memorial Weekend. So with that, until we're back up, but we're not on the back step in March. We'll be back in April. Probably I'll be live uh, from FDIC uh, with some guest co-hosts. Tommy will be uh, with the awesome guys. But Tommy will be thinking, of course. And until, uh, until we're up, all up on the back step again, be safe. Slow down, buckle your belt, wear your mask, eat right, hop for red, slow down, use your head, watch how you drive. You have to arrive alive every single time. And when you hug your family, hug them tight when you say goodnight. So with that, I'm going to say goodnight. Goodnight, Tommy. Good to talk to you, pal, and uh, we'll see you on a rebound. All right, everybody stay safe. Take care. We'll see you.